We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. It's probably not too much of a stretch to guess that most of us don't know a lot about the food of Peru. There are only two restaurants that serve Peruvian cuisine in our area, and one of them is a gas station. In this month's Soundbite segment with our partners from Sauce Magazine, we'll focus on food from Peru. I sat down this week with Catherine Claney, managing editor of Sauce Magazine, Stephanie Zailenga is a food critic and Sauce Magazine contributor, and Jorge Calvo Jr. is co-owner of Mango Peruvian Cuisine. I started by mentioning to Catherine that food is not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind when you think about Peru. It should be. It's an incredibly diverse cuisine, um, and not just because of the geography of the region, but also because of the immigrant culture um, and, and colonization history that, that Peru has. It's it's a really excellent mix of, of flavors and, and, and cuisines. Give me just a general sense of, sure. of what we're talking about. So, so Peru itself is a very biodiverse area. So it's incredibly mountainous. It has the Andes running through it. It's, it has a huge coast on the Pacific side and then uh, the rainforest, the Amazon itself. So you have these three very distinct biospheres that create three very different types of plants and, and, and wildlife that are, that are all edible. Traditional Incan food culture is very strong there. Um, and then it's also been influenced over the years by colonizers and immigrants, like I said, obviously from Spain and other parts of Europe, but China, Japan, and Africa as well. So you see a lot of that in the dishes. There's a lot of key ingredients when it comes to Peruvian food. They're sort of staples dating all the way back to the Incan people where you're looking at corn. There's, I think, thousands of varieties of potatoes that are all native to Peru, as well as ancient grains. People are familiar with quinoa. That's a very popular one now that that has a history, has its history there, as well as uh, legumes like beans and lentils. Um, Seafood plays a huge role as well um, in the cuisine on the coast. Stephanie, uh, you spent some time in Peru earlier this year. What were you expecting to find with regard to what you would be eating? I'm embarrassed to say that before going to Peru, I actually didn't really know much about the cuisine. And that was actually one of the reasons why I was excited to go there, because I learned that Lima is one of the top food cities in the world, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, I love food. I love reading about food. And that was the first time I was hearing about it. So I kind of went into it with no expectations. And that made it really fun because almost everything I ate was completely new to me. I mean, you go to Italy, you go to Greece, and you've you've had some form of that food we eat pasta all the time, but you don't have Peruvian ceviche or some of the other dishes unless, you know, you seek it out at one of the few Peruvian restaurants we have in St. Louis. What about the variety of food? Catherine has mentioned that there are many influences on the food of Peru. What kind of variety does that offer in in your mind? Yeah. So on the coast, like I said, ceviche is really popular. In what, that. What, what is that? That is a raw fish dish that is marinated in a citrus juice. It's made with lime, and it's flavored with ahi, which is a Peruvian pepper. And then that's also served with sweet potato and the large Incan corn, which is also called choclo. And then in the Andes, you have more of the mountain, the mountain area food. So that is kind of the heartier, more comfort food that's designed to, you know, help the people that were walking those passes every day make it through that terrain. Jorge, tell me a little bit about your restaurant and and what you are serving there that is uh, meeting satisfaction with the American palate. Well, ceviche 
has gone over very well with Americans. Um, it's actually very easy to, to like ceviche. Some people might be a little standoffish to try it out, but when, once they do, they usually love it. The lomo saltado is probably the most popular dish there as well. That's a warm dish, so that's a kind of the signature entree of Peru, uh, as I like to call it. It's a beef tenderloin stir-fry. The influence from that is, is China or Japanese cuisine. So it's like a Chinese stir-fry. has soy sauce, onions and peppers and tomatoes. It's mixed together with French fries and served with rice as well. So that's very popular. And ají de gallina is very popular at our restaurant too. So that's a very traditional comfort food. That's a shredded chicken. It's immersed in a Peruvian yellow pepper parmesan sauce. So that's really, really rich and hearty, and uh, a lot of people love that dish as well. Does the fact that there are so many different influences on that cuisine make it more difficult uh, for a, a restaurant owner to come up with a menu because it's, uh, there's such a variety, apparently? Well, it makes it more fun, that's for sure. I don't know about <laughs> more difficult. I think it actually can be beneficial because when you're hiring different people to come in and, and train them to cook the food for your restaurant, a lot of times, you know, chefs come from many different backgrounds. So if, you know, if you have a chef that's used to cooking Chinese food, you know, that might actually lend a hand to what we do because they're kind of used to working with certain ingredients. Or a chef who's used to cooking Italian cuisine, we have a lot of ingredients um, from Italian cuisine as well. So I think it can actually be a, be a benefit. Catherine, do you think there are misconceptions that we have about food from this particular country? I think in general, yes. Many people, I think, tend to lump all Latin American and South American cuisine into one bubble, or they assume that Mexican cuisine is somehow indicative of all cuisine from that region. Mm -hmm. um, and there's certainly some overlap, but the cuisines themselves are very diverse. And so I think when you get to places like, like Mango or the Fairview Heights Panca Peru Lounge or even the Nicaraguan restaurants in town um, or, or the Brazilian restaurants or when you really start to explore these different cuisines, you realize that there are so many subtle differences based on the, the regions, which are so varied, and who's on the coast and who's mm -hmm. in the center of, of the, the continent. And you really start to see the, the differences and that it's so much more. But, yeah, it, it surprises me because in St. Louis there's really maybe one or two representations from, from each country mm -hmm. Or each area, um, but there's you know 45 million Mexican restaurants. I feel yeah. like so. I think people come in with a, some preconceptions about what they expect to get at a place that's from Central America or South America, but they're pretty pleasantly surprised at the diversity and the difference. Stephanie, you wrote the stories in uh, Sauce Magazine about uh, about what the menus are like and about your your visit. What did you take away from that uh, that, that episode in, in, in April when you were there in terms of? Was it refreshing, uh, a big surprise? It was. It was refreshing. And as someone who loves to cook at home, it was kind of inspiring to see how they were using ingredients that we don't normally think to put together. One of the dishes that's pretty popular in Peru is called causa. And I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but it's a cold mashed potato dish that has seafood. It's like a stacked dish that has layers of mashed potato, seafood, and things like avocado and other vegetables. And just... You know, eating something like that where it's like cold mashed potatoes and seafood, that's something that I would never have thought to put mm -hmm. together. But now it's like I kind of have these other ideas in my head as I'm cooking in my own kitchen. So it was inspiring. Well, what about this issue of ingredients? I mean, it's a different uh, different world. Are, are these ingredients we can find easily for the most part in uh, our area? Absolutely. Global Foods Market and Kirkwood is a great resource. I was able to find pretty much everything I needed to re recreate the classic Peruvian dishes there. They've got a whole freezer case that has the Incan corn, the 
the peppers and chilies that you need, pretty much anything you would need to to successfully pull off these dishes at home. The one ingredient that I found hard to get was the Peruvian black mint that I think, Jorge, you said your family is actually having a farmer grow that for your restaurant, correct? Yes, we are. We've gotten very lucky to um, have some of the local farmers actually start to grow some of the Peruvian peppers and uh, wakatai as well. So we've recently started to use that a lot more. How is a Peruvian pepper different from peppers we might be more familiar with? I would say they're just very unique in their flavor and in their uh, spice. What do they Um, look like? They range anywhere from tiny bright red peppers to big yellow peppers. Um, The most common one that's used in almost every dish that I can think of is what we call ají amarillo, which just translates to yellow pepper. So that's going to be a bigger pepper. It's on the milder side, and it's integrated into a lot of dishes. It can be very spicy depending on how much you use, but it, it can also be very tame and just pack a lot of flavor. I think if you were to go to the grocery store and look at the, you know, it's a standard supermarket in the U.S. and you look at the pepper selection, there's maybe you have some bell peppers, some jalapenos, maybe a serrano or or habanero or two. But the entire world is full of so many different varieties of peppers from all over the place. So it's these these minute little distinctions between the ají amarillo and the ají limo and the versus, say, a Thai red chili or something like that. They're mm. very subtle, but they impart so much flavor on a dish that just gives a hit more heat or a hit more citrus. Um, so it's really interesting to see how just switching out one pepper can drastically change something so much. Stephanie, were you able to observe the differences in the way people would eat in Peru? I'm thinking, thinking of class now, thinking wealthy people versus more more common people, middle class. Do they eat differently? There's definitely a range of eating establishments for those different socioeconomic classes. But, you know, you'll find Lomo Soltado, for example, in kind of the really cheap market stalls. And you'll also find kind of more high-end twists on it on the more expensive restaurants. And then same with ceviche. There's little neighborhood restaurants where it's like it's super cheap to get a a dish of ceviche. And then it's also in these high-end restaurants that Mm -hmm. cater toward, you know, a more well-heeled clientele. Do they have a Peruvian version of fast foods? Yes, actually. There is a pork sandwich that is a really popular um, nighttime snack in Lima that um, there'll be lines out the door, you know, at midnight for people to get this pork sandwich. And it's a pretty basic pork sandwich on a, on a roll, but it's really satisfying. Jorge, how, how fancy can you get with the Peruvian cuisine? Well, you can get pretty fancy with it. As Stephanie kind of alluded to, it's Peruvian cuisine is pretty humble as in like with ceviche, for example, you know, everyone from the poorest fisherman on the coast to the richest person in Lima is eating ceviche at any given moment. So it has a diversity of, you know, of people who, who enjoy it. At our restaurant, we class it up a bit. For instance, with our Lomo Saltado, we use beef tenderloin. But in Peru, that's not really common. It's more common to use a kind of a lower grade cut of meat. So just depending on on what you want to do with it, you can um, you can get pretty fancy with it. But at the end of the, at its root, it's very humble and basic ingredients, you know, put together in really a minimal way to create really nice flavors. But as you've indicated, you do have to make adjustments for the American taste. Every now and then, it's not completely necessary because Peruvian food is actually a lot more approachable than people give it credit for. You know, it is very easy to enjoy. 
but we do make slight adjustments every now and then. Sometimes we have to do something a little bit less spicy. Uh, but for the most part, um, you know, we try to keep it as true to form as possible. Catherine, what do you drink with Peruvian food? Sure. So we were we were actually just talking about this uh, earlier. Inca Cola is probably the most well-known non-alcoholic beverage uh, outside of Peru here in the States. Um, it's a Basically a soda, right? It's it's one of the, the soda, yeah. national mm-hmm. soda. Pisco is the national spirit. Uh, Pisco is essentially a, it's a brandy that's distilled from grapes. Um, a classic Pisco sour was invented in Lima, and that's a classic cocktail. You can get at any great cocktail bar here in town, and I'm sure you can get it mango mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> I'll let the bar manager expound on their drink program, but uh, the Pisco sour is just a classic egg white, lime juice, simple and bitters with a little bit of Pisco. It's refreshing, mm-hmm. um, and I I'm, I'm understand it. It does go pretty well with ceviche, from from my understanding. Yeah, it's a Perfect pairing for ceviche, yeah. absolutely. Anything to add to that, Jorge, as the as the barman? <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, Pisco is just one of these spirits that's really fun and diverse. A big thing that they like to do in Peru is um, infusions, which uh, we call maceradas. Something we're doing right now that's really popular in Peru is uh, infusing Pisco with strawberries. Passion fruit is another, another one. We call that maracuya. So it's very common in Peru to go to to a bar and see what they have uh, as far as infusions go. And you can make up a pisco sour, a maracuya sour. We actually had those uh, this past weekend. I should mention we just celebrated our Independence Day on the 28th. Oh. Yeah, so we had the passion fruit pisco sour on special, so that was a lot of fun. And then uh, you can make a variety of chilcanos as well. That's another very traditional drink. That one really just consists of pisco, lime juice, and ginger ale. And maybe some bitters if you like. So there's a variety, and then you can do that with a wide variety of different piscos too. So that can be a lot of fun as well. Stephanie, you tried them all, correct, when you were there? <laughs> <laughs> no comments. <laughs> Did, it, was there anything that you did enjoy, though, in particular, that was maybe different from what you'd be used to? Um, let's see. That's a tough question. Mm-hmm. Coca tea is definitely something that you can't get here that was unique. Um, that's teaming with the coca leaves, and that. It's similar to green tea, but a lot, I would say, a lot more grassy tasting. Mm-hmm. In terms of food, they have, this is another drink actually, but beer made of, made with quinoa was interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, like that was the, the grain? Yes. For the, oh, interesting. Yes. Yeah. Chicha is another interesting interesting drink, which um, Jorge can probably tell you more about that than I can, but it's a ferment, fermented drink made from corn. Mm-hmm. It's just got a different taste than anything we have here. Much wine consumed? Not me personally, no, but, but they, yeah, that's there's part of their menu. Yes, there right. there are Peruvian wineries, and a lot of the restaurants have Peruvian wine for on offer. Jorge, tell me about Peruvian wine. Admittedly, Peru is not really known for its wine. <laughs> I think uh, our friends in Argentina and Chile are a little bit more well known for their wine. The vineyards in Peru are starting to get a lot better, though, and a lot more uh, recognized. It was very difficult for us to actually get Peruvian wine for a really long time. But now we actually are able to get one called Intipalca, and that vineyard is in the Ica Valley. Uh, most of the vineyards in Peru are used really for pisco, you know. So this vineyard actually um, makes a lot of pisco, and they make a lot of really wonderful wine as well. We have a Cab Syrah that's a really nice blend, and then the Malbec goes over really well at our restaurant too. Peru's history with wine is not as rich as some of the surrounding countries in South America, but uh, it is it is starting to get a, a step up. I was going to say not yet, but it right. seems to me that the uh, South American wines are beginning to uh, make some headway in this country, certainly. Our time is running down. Tell me a little bit about your restaurant. What's it like? Sure. Uh, well, we're located downtown on Washington Avenue in the Lofts District. So um, 
It's kind of just, you know, a very spacious, uh, comfortable setting. We try to bring, you know, as many traditional dishes as, as we know, the stuff that I grew up eating. And uh, we just try to, we try to present Peruvian food in a way where people, in an approachable way, I should say, in an environment that, is, you know, is comfortable to be in and, and inviting as well. So what? we've been around for uh, 14 years. It was my dad's dream to, to start a Peruvian restaurant. And uh, so we finally got to do it in 2004. And we've been surviving ever since. 14 years. That's a pretty good run for a restaurant. Absolutely. Many don't last that long. Have you eaten there, Stephanie? I have. Uh, and how is it different or is it different from the food you experienced uh, in country? Um, well, it was interesting going there pretty much right after I got back from my trip. And um, so it was easy to compare the two. And I think everything was pretty much spot on. There is um, a twist on Lomo Saltado I really like that uses mushrooms instead of beef. So that's an interesting twist for, for vegetarians or someone who doesn't want to eat mm-hmm. you know, meat for dinner. Yeah, so they did a, a great job replicating it. Right. Final thought, Catherine, as we wrap this up, anything you want to include that we haven't yet? Sure. No, I would just encourage everybody to go out and, you know, if, if – you have not had a chance to experience Peruvian cuisine. Mango is a great place to start. Like he said, they're located downtown. The space is really beautiful, too. It's, it feels more more like fine dining-y space. And then, you know, there is also a place on the Illinois side of the river, the Fairview Heights Ponca Peru Lounge, which is a little strange. You pull in it, it looks like you're pulling into a gas station and you can't actually fill your tank while you're there. But uh-huh. um, it's a full-service restaurant inside with some great food. Stephanie's been there. I haven't had the opportunity yet, but Stephanie's been there and said it's, it's a lot of fun. It's just a little confusing when you first pull up. But both are great options to really explore a new country and a new cuisine and, and try something different in St. Louis. Very quickly, Stephanie, and the, and the food there at the gas station? Also A+. plus. The ceviche in particular was really good, which I don't know about you, but ordering raw fish out of a gas station is not usually on your short list of things to do, but... Yeah. I would definitely recommend it there. <laughs> yeah, it caught my eye when I saw that it was located in the gas station. Anyway, sounds great. We'll have to give it a try. Jorge, thank you so much for being with us, and oh, good luck for the next 14 years of the restaurant. Thank you Stephanie, so much. thank you. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Catherine, as always, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Peruvian food. Give it a try. Sounds delicious. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.